Oh, hello, and welcome to the Community Experience Podcast. We are so glad you're here. If you're one of our regulars, you're probably wondering why we haven't published in a while. We actually chose to sunset the show in early 2023, but the feed will stay active because so many of the episodes are timeless. If you want to learn more and search our back catalog, you can visit smartpassiveincome.com slash cxpodcast, all one word. I was so worried about niching down because I thought like, oh no, I'm going to be pigeonholed and like constrained to this one topic and how am I ever going to you know, write about it? The funny thing is, as soon as I made that conscious decision to niche down and focus on that, I just all of a sudden had this explosion of ideas as opposed to like, oh, should I talk about, you know, Twitter and how you can leverage that? Or, you know, it was more like, nope, the focus is going to be on newsletters. But then within that, I can talk about all these different things. And so it really helped me that way. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Community Experience Podcast. I am your hostess with the most S, Jillian Benbow. If this is your first time here, welcome. So happy to have you. And this week, I am talking to Dylan Redekop. Dylan is the man behind Growth Currency, growthcurrency.net, or at Growth Currency on Twitter and the socials. And we talk about newsletters. This is what he does. He tells his story in this episode about how he went from having a, you know, a Substack to having a newsletter that is sponsored on ConvertKit and it's fascinating. And so Growth Currency, his newsletter, goes into a lot of what it takes, the mechanics of a reliable, high-quality newsletter. And I wanted to talk to Dylan because I think this is one, it's just kind of a, a hot topic right now. I mean, newsletters have been around for a very long time, even before the worldwide Webster. But this idea of using newsletters to curate a list, an email list, but also like how can that impact community and how can that impact community growth and vice versa? How can you use that to support your members. There's just so many opportunities. So I wanted to talk to Dylan. He is great. He really gets into the, you know, how I hate this term, but how the sausage is made. I'd rather make something else. But anyways, we talk about just the, you know, the mechanics of it, some strategies, especially if you're like me and the idea of producing weekly content is very overwhelming. I left this episode thinking, you know what, I could totally do this and maybe I will. Maybe I will. So here's the episode with Dylan. I hope you enjoy. Okay, so I am here with Dylan Redekop, who is the mastermind, the brains behind Growth Currency, who I follow on all the things. I am a subscriber. Also, we talk on Twitter. So Dylan, tell us about you and how Growth Currency started and just all that. What's your story? What's my story? Yeah. I wish it was super exciting and thrilling, but it's it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of run of the mill. I'm a nine to five marketing professional, been in marketing since about 2013 when I graduated from university. I've, yeah, I've just been doing it for a while, but I've always had this tendency to do kind of side projects and things on the side. So in 2020, I was like, hey, 
things are changing rapidly in the world, thanks to what everybody knows was going on at that time. And so I thought it would be a good idea to maybe try to um, create more opportunity for myself. And I didn't know exactly what that opportunity would lead to or what that would look like. But I thought I had heard all these people starting up these Substack newsletters. And I was like, that sounds like a good idea. You know, starting an email list, building a newsletter, taking your your audience off of a rented platform like social media and onto kind of something a little bit more that you can own and that you can take with you. So so I started a Substack newsletter in September of 2021. No, sorry. I started the account. I created the account. I didn't actually publish a newsletter for about three or four months. I just kind of sat there and twiddled my thumbs trying to figure out what to do, what I should write about. And it just got to the point where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to figure this out until I start doing it. So I just started publishing in January of 2021 and you know, yada, yada, yada. 19 months later, and I've got 2000 subscribers. So of course, there's a lot to go in there, but uh, that's kind of how we started. And uh, we could talk about you know the journey as to their point A to point B or point Z where we're at. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Well, amazing. Let's just start there. Like you did the thing. 90% of us, I think, have a Substack that has nothing on it. So you were the 10% or even less, frankly, that actually took the steps and did it and stuck with it. And now, you know, you have proven results. And the fact that you, you know, by day do marketing, I think speaks volumes. Like, you know, you, you are a literal expert in how email marketing works. So being able to kind of, it's almost like a flex, right? It's like, <laughs> what, hold my beer. <laughs> like, check out what I can do. And so that's part of why I'm so excited to talk to you because I know a lot of people are interested in growing their email list. It's such a common thing we hear at SPI is just tactics. How do you, especially when you start from, you know, zero or like your mom, as your first subscriber, how do you take that and find that actual audience that's a match, you know, and isn't just begging on social media? Also, sidebar, I love that you called social media a rental platform. I hope you don't mind. I'm going to say that from today until I die because perfect. Yes, that is what it is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I wish I could take credit for coining that, but that was definitely not me. I've, I've heard that elsewhere, but it's totally what it is. Just a rental platform because they'll change the algorithm on you and then you're... Yeah. Kind of so well. like going, what? Nobody's nobody's responding to my tweets because they don't see them. Overnight, my business died. Yeah, exactly. So to answer your question, I think, you know, getting from the zero to wherever you get to, I leveraged Twitter a lot. And I had, like when I started the newsletter, I had about 700 Twitter followers. So I didn't have this massive audience on there. But, you know, I wasn't starting from zero in two places, which was very helpful. I at least had a little... Yeah, I had some friends and some people I had been following on Twitter that we've, you know, talked back and forth or or at least tweeted back and forth. I had established kind of those relationships a bit. So those people are just kind of like, they're kind of like your friends in, you know, IRL who are like, yeah, I'll subscribe to your newsletter if that's what you want me to do. I'll support you. And so, you know, you get those pity subscribes and, and it's great because it like, at least you know that you're sending to somebody, I guess. It's, so it sets you up for a little bit of momentum at the, at the get-go. But really, you need to keep that growing. You can't just you know, rely on your friends to you know, be your, your true fans. So I leveraged Twitter most mostly. That was about where 95% of my followers came from in the first... Probably the first six to nine months. 
So that was huge for me and, and just kind of promoted my newsletter, but shared what I was sharing in the newsletter. So people actually sort of knew what it was about and had an idea and actually wanted to subscribe and get it in their inbox. It's very smart. And I just looked at your Twitter and you have rapidly grown since you did that. You're all, you're like right at like 7,500, which for organic growth in the way you're doing it, like that's awesome. So, and that's, that's how I found you too. You tweeted something clever and I was like, yeah, I like this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. Yeah. My one clever tweet a year. Yes. You you saw it. Converted one person. (laughs) No, just kidding. That's right. (laughs) It's better than what I do. I'm, I'm very sporadic on Twitter. So it's interesting because like your newsletter is meta, right? It's a newsletter about newsletters, which I love because I am similar in the community space. Like I have a community where I often talk about community, you know, it's a community of community builders. How many times can we say community? And you teach people how to earn income with a newsletter. Was that intentional from the beginning or is that just how it kind of evolved over time? No, I mean, I guess nobody can see me shaking my head, but no, that definitely did not happen that way from the get-go. I I started very much like, I don't know what, like I mentioned earlier, I don't know what what I want to write about. So I just started writing about things that I had been consuming and my ideas and thoughts and opinions about them, as well as things that I'd found on the internet that, that I thought were interesting, helpful in kind of a, a broader range of marketing, podcasts, personal finance. I think crypto at some point I was writing a bit about because who wasn't and other things as well that are slipping my mind, but kind of in that general online creator sort of space, audience growth and stuff like that. And eventually I morphed the newsletter to this point where it became meta talking a newsletter about newsletters. And that happened about six months, six or seven months ago, back in the springtime of 2022, where somebody was like, I think you would grow that much better if you kind of niche down and focused on something instead of being like trying to be all things to all, you know, online creators, which is kind of what I was doing at the time. And so he said, when I think of your newsletter, you do talk often about your newsletter journey. And it's really helpful to know, you know, the things that worked for you and the things that you tried and failed. And so I think you should kind of double down on, on that. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to be the newsletter for newsletters. And so I thought I can help people start. I can give them direction on how to start a newsletter, how to grow their newsletter. And not to say that I have, you know, thousands upon hundreds of thousands of subscribers. I have a modest, you know, 2,200 subscribers. So it's not like it's like massive, but I spent very little money in growing it and just uh, done it sort of on the side as well. So it's been, I think it's seen the success that I have, I didn't anticipate at the onset. So it's been good, but yeah, really start, grow, improve your newsletter. So how you, what you can do to actually improve your open rates, improve your subscribers experience, your welcome emails and so on. And then what you can do to monetize. So start, grow, improve and monetize. And those are kind of the four things when you subscribe to my newsletter that you'll get a curated resource of each of those every week. I love it. So did you find when you niche down, like that was a significant explosion or like there were metrics to back up like, aha, like this is the, this is the recipe. I figured it out. I haven't really dug deep into those metrics, but what I did find was I was so worried about niching down because I thought like, oh no, I'm going to be pigeonholed and like constrained to this one topic and how am I ever going to, you know, write about it. And the funny thing is, as soon as I made that conscious decision to, to niche down and focus on that, 
I just all of a sudden had this explosion of ideas. It was like that old saying, um, you know, constraints breed creativity or, you know, anything along those lines where once you have a, you put a fence around an idea and then you can really like kind of formulate it a little bit better because that open empty canvas is really just kind of daunting. So once I had kind of focused on the, the niche and I had that narrowed down, then all these ideas on what I should write about and where I can help people and talk about became a lot a lot easier to come up with as opposed to like, oh, should I talk this week about like growing an audience on YouTube, which I haven't done. I just have to like lean on other people or should I talk about, you know, Twitter and how you can leverage that? Or, you know, it was more like, nope, the focus is going to be on newsletters. But then within that, I can talk about all these different things. And so it really helped me that way in terms of actually growth and metrics. I think I was around, I don't know, maybe 1400-ish subscribers at the time when I decided to make that change. So, you know, earned about another... I guess 800 or so subscribers since in the last six or seven months since I made the switch. So I'd have to look and see if that really is a big difference, but that's kind of the the growth trajectory it's been on. Yeah. I'm curious too. So, you know, the, the hot thing right now in the digital entrepreneurship is the concept of a, a paid newsletter. So basically selling sponsorship space, I suppose that could also mean like Literally, you pay to get someone's newsletter. I've seen that model at play for a while too. But I, I feel like the actual, the sponsors side of things has become easier for creators. You mentioned Substack. I know ConvertKit is launched a program. You mentioned another platform that I've spaced. What was the other one you said? Beehive. Before we started. Beehive, thank you. Tell me what you think about, just about this move and how smaller creators especially like can can start exploring this when you know a year ago the the concept of like having a sponsor i think was out of reach for a lot of people and now it seems to be a little more accessible which is very exciting so tell me tell me all your thoughts <laughs> all my thoughts okay so yeah you've talked about paid newsletters and sponsorship so for me it's like they're two kind of different things. You could have a paid newsletter that's kind of behind a paywall. You have to subscribe, pay a monthly or annual fee to get access to it. And usually those are product knowledge experts or thought leaders in a certain field that you pay for their, their knowledge and their expertise and, and getting that in your inbox. That is not something that I do, but that's something that there's some people that make a lot of pretty good subscription revenue doing. And so those people, I would say... I don't know this for sure, but I would assume that 90% of those don't have any sponsors. They just rely mostly on that subscription revenue from their readers. Whereas I didn't feel comfortable putting my content behind a paywall because imposter syndrome and all of that, I just like, well, I don't have anything worth paying for. So I'm going to monetize in different ways. And I'm more comfortable selling my audience, I suppose, access to it to a sponsor who's going to be relevant who's to the audience. So it's not going to be something totally random that that is not going to match up or, or be relevant to the people reading my newsletter. So that's important to me when I do it. It's not just anybody who's going to throw you know money at me that I, I would take on as a sponsor. Although, I mean, there is that if there is a high enough price, maybe. <laughs> but really, yeah, I, try, I try to keep everything pretty relevant in terms of newsletter advertisers. But the thing that's helped with that is, like you mentioned, ConvertKit has created their sponsor network. So they're working with their own ConvertKit users who have audiences typically of about 10,000 subscribers or larger. And you sign on with them and they source the newsletter sponsors and advertisers and then kind of plug them into their pool 
of newsletters that they have on their ConvertKit sponsorship network. And so that's a really cool opportunity for people who have the audience size that can get in there and they kind of don't have to do all of the outreach and they don't have to do all of the cold calls and you know arranging all of the creative and ad creative and all that sort of thing. So I would highly recommend people, even if you don't maybe have 10,000 subscribers, because I didn't and I applied right when it was announced and I got in. So that being said, I had to sacrifice a few things and I've written about this. So you can read up on that about ConvertKit Sponsor Network. Yeah, you do a great job of you, you build in public, which I appreciate. Like you have like, here's what happened when I did this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I did talk with the ConvertKit team to make sure I was okay to share that. And they're, they're all for it. So yeah, I didn't want them to I didn't want to share that and then be like, well, we don't want people to know that you have whatever that you got in with the lower subscriber rate. But they were cool with it. They they thought it was awesome and they appreciated it because it it just helped spread the word about their sponsorship network. And really the the larger that it grows and the more newsletters they can present to sponsors, the better for everybody, right? So they do take a, a percentage of the ad fee because that's the business model. Whereas Substack, for example, their business model is if you start a free Substack account, which anybody can do, at least at this time, you can sign up, start your account and never pay Substack a dime. You can publish, publish, publish. You can run ads on your newsletter and never pay them a dime or just publish free content and just drive people elsewhere through your newsletter to maybe your paid products or services. And again, never pay Substack a dime. But if you put your content behind a paywall on Substack and you're charging people for membership, Substack takes 10% of your subscription revenue from everybody you earn, right? So if you have a $100 annual subscription fee, they'll, they'll take 10 bucks and you get to keep 90. That's something that people need to kind of keep in mind as they're, as they're doing that. And other platforms do similar as well, but the rates and the platforms that charge are escaping me right at this moment. But I know ConvertKit with their ad network, they take a 20% if you go exclusive with ConvertKit. So that means you don't source any other ads. You give basically the ownership to ConvertKit to exclusively use your newsletter for sponsors. Then you pay 20% of their ad revenue that you bring in. So if you bring in a thousand dollar Add, then you get to keep 800 and they take 200. And that's the business model that they're working with. And then Beehive has launched their own network, ad network. And so has Sparkloop. Oh, yeah. Sparkloop is a referral, newsletter referral software that you can that you can pay for. So they've launched their own sponsor network as well. So, or partner network, they're calling it. So there's a whole bunch of things going on and a lot of opportunities to to make money writing a newsletter. It definitely seems like a very good opportunity right now. To your point with ConvertKit, like if you have a newsletter, even if it, you know, if it's niche, if it's quality, it sounds like, you know, might as well just ask and see because there's opportunities to get in that, you know, as as this becomes a more popular thing, maybe will be harder down the road. Yes. Yes. I feel like a lot of the audience, everybody listening right now is probably, you know, head spinning if they don't have a newsletter thinking like, what could I do? But I know like myself included, I get very overwhelmed with the idea of having to have that cadence of content and have something to actually talk about, you know, that is actually mm, yes. re worth reading. <laughs> and I know like imposter syndrome, the, all the same things, but I'm curious your advice to community builders. Like, is there Anything in particular, like any advice you would give just the run of the mill community builder who is considering adding a, a newsletter and we'll just 
for simplicity's sake, just say like a free, whether they're sponsors or not, but just a newsletter and what that could look like. Yeah, totally. I think newsletters should be, they shouldn't be seen as email marketing. They should be seen as content. So the same way that YouTube is content, that social media is content, I think newsletters in this form should be seen as a content strategy and not just like an email marketing tool. You can definitely incorporate email marketing into it if you need to do a product launch or feature any services you're selling at the time, but really it should be seen more as a content. So if you're feeling pressure to like have to create something new every week, like you don't need to do that. I would highly recommend looking into a curation model if the idea of creating something new every week scares you, or if you don't have a content library you can pull from, then curate. Like Some of the most popular newsletters are curated newsletters. Like Even if you look at The Hustle or Morning Brew, those are all just like... Those are media businesses, news media businesses in the form of newsletters, right? They just pull daily news in, they throw their voice on it and throw it on every morning for everybody. So it's definitely something that doesn't have to be like a creative, intense process. That being said, for me, what actually worked was that constraint of like, I need to publish this every week. And that forcing function of like, okay, it's Tuesday, I got to publish something. So I need to write something. So for me, that like really helped. If I didn't have that, you know, personal pressure or owing my readers, not that anybody would probably notice if I missed a week, right? But if I didn't um, have that pressure on myself, I probably would have published a couple of times. And then maybe I felt like skipping a week because I didn't have time. And then, the next thing you know, it's been two months and I haven't published a newsletter. And then I feel like, oh man, it's going to be so embarrassing if I go back. And you know, you kind of, you, you get yourself all out of sorts because of it. So for me, the, the thing that really helped push me was actually that forcing function of this is a weekly newsletter. I'm going to publish it every week for a hundred weeks. That was the only goal I had with my newsletter. It wasn't about growth or monetization. My only goal was like, if I publish a hundred editions of this newsletter, something good is going to come out of it. Some kind of opportunity will come out of it. Maybe it'll be money. Maybe it'll be a job. Maybe it'll be a business of my own. I don't know, but I knew that I'd be better off trying than not. So I was like, that's my goal. And so knowing that, and then having this forcing function of publishing every week, that was for me how I found success with it. But as a community builder, you're probably busy doing lots of things. Whereas I only had a newsletter and then I did have my full-time job, but I wasn't doing a whole bunch of other things, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, right? that, is, that yeah. is a big chunk, <laughs> but I get it, it is yeah. fair. <laughs> so yeah, I think in terms of community, I don't think you necessarily would need to, a community builder wouldn't need to like have this regimented. This is, you know, my Monday musings newsletter or, you know, have that day of the week in the name of the newsletter to force you to publish every week unless that works for you. And that seems like something that could work, then by all means. But I think for a community newsletter, to me, it, it feels like a curation is a great way, bringing in resources, tools, tips for people that would be relevant for your community is it would be a great place to start. And then you could always create your own content based on whatever's going on in your community. And you can always pull in some of your community members to contribute, right? Like, why couldn't you write a piece for my community? I know The Tilt, if you're familiar with The Tilt, they do this all the time. They publish a twice weekly newsletter and they have a small team. And so they pull in, they pay. I mean, they, they have the ability to pay, but they pay people to write articles for their newsletter. So I think there's many different ways that you could, as a community builder, create a pretty regular newsletter that could be helpful and not a total time suck on your end that you could, if you set up the right you know processes and everything, I think you could do it relatively easily. <laughs> As you're talking about that, I'm like 
Yeah, that seems much more doable than the like onus of you need to write at least like some sort of article or intelligent sounding thing that has to go out every Tuesday at nine, especially for someone like myself who procrastinates a lot. Like just the, I can just feel the Monday pressure of that without even having it exist. I'm like, nope, I don't want it. I choose no. (laughs) But yeah, the morning brew is probably like my favorite big newsletter I like that they have, you know, they have several, they have marketing brew and morning brew and like crypto. I don't even know anymore, but I really enjoy their voice and just their spin on how things, what things are happening in the world. You know, it's kind of like the skim is probably a similar model. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, we're just collecting things and and displaying them in a faster consumable way. So you can stay up to speed with the world and we'll have some kind of like funny, funny additions here and there sprinkled in our, about our, our opinions, which I love. Yeah. And I think that's why they've, they've got that unique voice and spin and, and humor in it, which is what's helped them really grow and stand out on their own. And that's like, just because they do doesn't mean you can't either, right? If, if that's your pursuit, I think a year ago or so I tweeted, I'm like, I look at Morning Brew and, and the hustle and I think, why not me? And it, at that time, my mindset was like, I could do this, you know, million follow or million subscriber daily newsletter thing. And now I'm like, wait, 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 wait no, I don't, that's, I don't think that's what I want to do. No. <laughs> but I mean, if you're dedicated, you could 100% do it. It's just, it's going to be a lot of work, but it's, it's definitely doable. I think, what are your thoughts on? So again, great examples of like very strong brand voice. You kind of know it, there's a personality behind it, right? Like the, it almost has its own personality. And if that's kind of like on your vibe, like, you're into it. I'm sure other people are like, oh, morning brew. It's so immature, you know, but what are your tips for anybody trying to do a newsletter as a business, as far as figuring out that voice and not, not leaning so much to just like, I'm just going to copy morning brew and be exactly like them, but also like be distinct and unique enough, but like find that if, if you will, what's your advice on that? I would use places where you can get almost immediate feedback, like really quick feedback loops and that would be social media is a great place for that. Like Twitter being a text base, kind of the last text based social media, really, because nobody uses Facebook. Um, but I think, <laughs> well, some people do. My grandma's on there I all call the time. It Boomer Book. But um, yeah. Boomer Book, yeah, that's a good one. So I think Twitter is for me where I've kind of experimented with throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks, right? Because you know pretty quickly, hey, this is, you know, grabbed some people's attention and there's engagement and feedback is really fast. Whereas, you know, other things, it's just like, okay, it's crickets. This didn't hit. Maybe it didn't get seen. So you can retweet it again and see if, you know, it gets some more traction, but that's how you can, I think, really quickly formulate a bit of a voice and see what resonates with people. And I think it's also like, we're not all built to be these witty, clever, funny newsletter writers, right? Like totally. I've accepted that I would not be make a good stand-up comedian. <laughs> not that I've ever tried, but like I look at stand-up comedians, I think that's the hardest, you know, job in the world. I would never be able to do that. It's pretty amazing. I don't know how those guys get up on the stage and do what they do. And I've always loved making people laugh, but it's never been, you know, necessarily something I've been very good at. And so I think we don't all need to also be, you know, overly humorous or witty or clever in our newsletters, as long as we're writing stuff that's thoughtful, that's maybe a little bit unique. And I think we all have our own, we do all have our own experiences and opinions and thoughts and ideas. So I think if we write about those, 
not everything is going to be interesting to everybody, but there will be some things from our experience that somebody will go, oh my goodness, I never thought about that in that way. Or I didn't know you could do that. Or I, you know, that's a totally different take on this, this subject. So really bring in your own experience and personality. I think even if it's not witty and clever, it can, it can be thoughtful and enjoyable by, by a lot of people. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, anybody who isn't like snarky on the level of morning brew, like I don't, uh, yeah, but that's the thing, right? Like your brand voice could be a much more like matter of fact, like I don't have time to absolutely sugarcoat and add words for the sake of adding words. Here's the things. See you next week. Right. Like that could be your, you could have a very, you know, straight and narrow brand. Totally. And I, I subscribe to newsletters that are like that into my head. I'm like, I can never be that like brief and like, <laughs> I'm way too verbose to my own fault maybe, but like, I can't just like, yo, here's the newsletter. Bam, 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 yeah. bam. Done. <laughs> See ya. Peace. Here's the links. <laughs> Enjoy. Because at the same time, I'm like, well, unless I'm curating like really, really, really interesting links that nobody else is sharing, um, unless that's like my unique value proposition, I need to, I need to put some personality a little bit behind it so that people still want to read. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just going to go through all the hangups I have because I think other people have these. So I'm creating all this content and putting it out every day. And hopefully I'm getting people in slowly. But meanwhile, the content, when I think about that, I'm like, that's a lot of work. And like, you're creating all this stuff that no one's going to see. And it's kind of, it's, it's almost like defeating before you get started. And I can see where a platform like Substack is really valuable in this case, because you can create that same content and put it on there. And then it's kind of, I mean, it has that like bloggy vibe in the sense that you can go to someone's Substack and see older stuff. So do you think that's a good way? Like, would, is that where you're like, yeah, if, if that's your position, that's a good way to start versus jumping straight to ConvertKit. And like we are, ConvertKit's one of our biggest partners. Like we love ConvertKit, but I'm thinking of the individual who maybe like, what do you think? Should they just go to ConvertKit and there's a way to do it? Or should they maybe start on a a different platform and, and jump like you did? Or like, what's the, mm-hmm. what do you think? <laughs> I will, an- I'll answer your question with a story, which is my, my experience. Oh, perfect. So you're like, that is me. I- <laughs> yeah. It, well, it is. I started with Substack because I was kind of debating a few different platforms and I'm like, Substack lets me start for free. It lets me write, publish a newsletter and collects email addresses for me. I don't have to have any other software for that. So it all does that in one. Plus it's got this blog type experience. So you can publish a post and not have to send it to your email list if you don't want to. So I still publish on Substack. I just don't email it. So I want to leverage Substack's, basically their network for discoverability so that people can find my newsletter and subscribe. And then of course I just bring them over to my ConvertKit newsletter. But, and in my welcome email that they receive when they subscribe, it tells them that explicitly like, Hey, thanks for subscribing. You're going to receive my emails through ConvertKit. It won't, the experience will be different, but just letting you know, kind of thing. I still publish on Substack because I think there's still benefit to their network. And I think for somebody who's just starting out and I love ConvertKit and I'm, I'm an affiliate. I, you know, I talk about them all the time and I sing their praises, but I think there is benefit to starting on Substack because of those reasons, plus the discoverability. And now their recommendations feature, which they have 
And I'm sure you know ConvertKit and other platforms are going to do it. And I've already saw, seen Beehive has launched their recommendations platform. But really, it's if for those of you who don't know, you can add recommended newsletters on your Substack, right, or your Beehive. So if I have friends or similar newsletters that I really like that I think my readers would like, I can add them to my recommended newsletters. And then whenever you subscribe to my newsletter, you'll be like, oh, Dylan also recommends XYZ newsletters. Check them out if you want. And you can just tick a box and you're subscribed. So if you can start on Substack, find some friends or pitch yourself to other newsletters, maybe a little bit bigger saying, here's what I'm writing about. Here's how I can maybe serve your audience in a complimentary way, not a competitive way. Then I think that would be a great way to get started and grow a lot quicker than the, you know, slogging through the mud of like trying to like grow on social and and just hope that people find your landing page and subscribe. So I think Substack is a great place to start. And just because you start there doesn't mean you have to finish there. So I, you know, I grew on Substack for about nine months until I switched to ConvertKit for a number of reasons, which I've cataloged. And I actually just published uh, yesterday my newsletter post, which is at growthcurrency.net, where I explained why I switched to ConvertKit from Substack. And so there's a number of reasons there, but I'll hand it to Substack as they're I think they're realizing that maybe they need to do more things to attract the person who isn't going to put their newsletter behind a paywall and just get as many users as they can so that the few that decide to, they increase their percentage of people doing the paywall thing. So I got to hand it to them because they are doing a lot of things that are revolutionary to some degree. Yeah. Did that answer your question at all? Oh, it does. Yeah. Like, can you can you publish on Substack, have the paid newsletter on ConvertKit with basically the same content? And it's okay. Like it's, it's doable. Yeah. Because you're not charging people for the content on either platform. And also I don't publish my newsletter. So I guess I should have been more clear. I don't actually publish my whole newsletter on Substack. Okay. I write a weekly article every week that goes in my newsletter, at least a snippet of it goes in my newsletter. And I, cause usually there are about a thousand words. And then I lead people over to the full article on my website. Gotcha. But then I published that full article on Medium Ah. and I published that full article on Substack. Medium was my next question. Yeah. So it's in three places. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's okay to do that, like have the same copy for lack of a better word, like on multiple. I'm not charging anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not charging anybody for that, that article. And I think people should be like leveraging these platforms where the eyeballs are, right? Like go where the, um, the attention is. I started taking Medium a little bit more seriously back in April because I tweeted about my whopping 10 cent earnings for the month of like February, I think it was, or 8 cents or whatever. They send you like a pay through Stripe or, or PayPal or whatever it is. And I'm oh, like, funny. this is such a joke. It's so funny. And so I screenshot and I, I put it on Twitter and someone's like, actually, you can make money on, on Medium. And even though it's kind of a bit of a laughing stock of the internet to some degree, people are making lots of money on it. I'm like, oh, interesting. Well, I wonder what happens if I sort of took it seriously and published the content I'm publishing anyway there. And so I started doing that and I was like, okay, I'm going to see if I can hit $20 in revenue. And I hit, I think $24 the first month I tried. And then I got up to 30 and then 50. So like the revenue is, again, it's not like, you know, money that I can uh, quit my job over, but it's added revenue that on content I was going to publish anyway. So like essentially copy and pasting and maybe tweaking slightly for the platform has been beneficial. And I'm a premium member on Medium, which is $5 a month. So I'm like, as long as I, I can cover that, then then I'm happy. So I think I've earned about 
close to $200 on medium in six months. So like, it's not peanuts, but it's definitely nothing to, you know, write home to mom about. And I've gotten more subscribers from it. So I was going to tie that in. Like it's, it's a good place for promotion more than almost anything. Well, and this is all just under that, like work smarter, not harder, right? It's like you create content that's valuable. It's very similar to the concept from yesteryear where, you know, it's like, you post it on every social media platform and you just throw it out there into the internet. But this is more SEO friendly and has a better, like easier archive and whatnot. So it's really freaking smart. <laughs> I'm feeling a little dumb. Just being like, how did I not put this together already on my own? But it's pretty funny. <laughs> it's only obvious once you see it, right? Yep. Welcome to my world and everyone's, I guess. But yeah, just having a moment <laughs> yeah, here, like, geez. You're not, you're, you're not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> so you work with people. I know you have um, products on your website. I bought one actually about setting up a, a Substack. You had a, you had a deal, and I was like, I want to oh, support yeah, you because yeah, yeah. I like supporting creators. Oh, thank you. Of course, and it was wonderful. Highly recommended. So I know, and I know you like, you work with people, you have obviously your, your audience and probably more, you know, closer relationships with different people. I'm curious, is there anything you see, is there anything commonly happening with people getting into these newsletters that you could just like save people some time right now and, <laughs> and tell them, is there like a common roadblock or just issue that comes up or? I think the impatience of most people is probably the biggest roadblock. And knowing that a newsletter is a, at first, it'll just be a support piece probably to your content, unless it's, unless you want to make it your product, right? And you can do that by ad sponsorships or paywalls or affiliate income, if you will. There's a number of ways you can obviously do that, but I think you just need to have this long-term mindset. And I also wrote about a few months ago, how everybody's like, Oh, you got to be consistent. You got to be consistent. You got to be consistent. Be consistent. And it was like the, the word of the year kind of thing. And I'm like, well, you need to be consistent, but you also need to be resilient because the beginning is hard and you need to really overcome. Yeah. You're consistent, but it's growth is still slow. Like just because you're consistent doesn't consistency does not equal success. It's a number of factors, right? And you know, it's more like time plus consistency plus iteration and improvement equals success. So my thought was more like, you need to be resilient as well to overcome those times where it's like, it's been a month and I got one subscriber kind of thing. Because those those periods will happen. Like I, I just went through this period where I almost lost more subscribers than I, than I was getting. So it's just a matter of getting through those phases and seeing this as more of a long-term gain. So that's why I knew that I would fail at this newsletter, if I didn't put that 100, that 100 editions, like that is my kind of goal, personal goal for the newsletter was, I'm going to publish 100 editions of this. And even when I set that out, I was like, I didn't realize that's basically two years <laughs> of a weekly newsletter, <laughs> which is probably good that I didn't really, I didn't really think about it, you know, just a nice, neat fully through. I was just like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's perfect. It's a nice round number. So, so I was like, okay, I'll do 100 editions. And then a few months later, I'm like, okay, that's like two years of this, but all right, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do it. And so I'm at 86th edition went out last night. Nice. So we're, and I did take a two week break after I hit my 52nd edition. I'm like, okay, a week, a year straight every week. Yeah. I'm just going to take a two week breather. And so I didn't publish for two weeks. Yeah. It's been, otherwise it's been every week for 86 weeks. I think I needed that 
milestone to really push through the beginning. That's a great idea. And having that kind of like that goal that you're ticking away weekly at the marathon, right? All those miles. Yeah. And it could be, it could be a revenue milestone for you. It could be a subscriber milestone or even a, like, I want, I want to grow my newsletter until my, my business itself does this or my community grows to a certain point or whatever that might be. I must ask once you hit a hundred, you're like, I'm out. No. <laughs> like, are you going to recalibrate yeah. a new goal or what do you think you'll do? Take another couple of weeks? Yeah. I, I've been thinking about that because it's now like less, it's by basic Christmas time. My 100th edition falls at the very inopportune time of the year where it's between Christmas and New Year's, which sucks because it's going to be like, hooray. And everybody's going to be like, I'm not opening my email. It's Christmas break. <laughs> It'll be like, no fireworks. I don't know. I feel like I'd be, you know. Uh, now I want to like look for it, right? To make sure like, oh my gosh, yeah. it is. <laughs> I'll, I'll maybe, I'll I'll hype it up maybe. But to answer your question, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't have any plans of stopping, which is a good sign. And I just don't know where I go from there, which is kind of a weird thing to say. But like, I kind of hit my goal. It's like, so is my next goal 100 or is my next goal to really make this a full-fledged business for myself and my family? And is that realistic? And so it's it's just, I got to figure those things out and and see what uh, what I want to do with it. But I wish I had a better answer for you. No, I, it's a very real answer. So <laughs> I like it. And I know you'll figure it out. I have every confidence. I just wasn't sure if oh, thank you. it was already in the books or not. I could ask you a gazillion more questions, but I will save them for Twitter. <laughs> um, <laughs> for the sake of time. We're going to get into what I like to call the rapid fire round. It's very scary and difficult. There's huge consequences <laughs> if you answer yes. incorrectly. Are you ready? <laughs> I am ready. Uh, I am ready. Just kidding. I'm going to ask you a question. Just first thing that pops in your head, like one word to one sentence, hence rapid fire. I'll try not to ask follow-up questions, which I suck at following my own rules. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Okay. All right. Dylan, Dylan. <laughs> Dylan, <laughs> yes. in the hot fire. When you were a young child, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> I never knew what I wanted to be, so I'm still figuring that out. Hey, I love that. How do you define community? People supporting one another. Whether or not you have a bucket list, what is something on your bucket list or just your life goals that you have done? Oh, that I have done. Shoot. <laughs> I always wanted to run a half marathon and I did that. And so now I've got my sights on a triathlon, but in time. Ooh, exciting, exciting. And then the flip side of this, what's something on that bucket list or life list that you have not done? Oh, should I just answer that? <laughs> Besides that one. <laughs> Besides that one, probably travel to Europe. Definitely. I'm like trying to someday. Yeah. I'm trying to say like, you should do it. Europe's amazing, but yeah. So there it is. Yeah. What's a book you've recently read that you love or just a all time favorite that you wish everyone would read? So usually I read self-improvement type books, but kind of got burned out on those. And my most favorite was a Sam Parr of the hustle. My first million podcast who recommended American Kingpin, I think it's called. Shoot, now I'm blanking. Which is about the Silk Road, if you're familiar. Yes, this all sounds very familiar. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Like I went into it kind of like, how good could this be? Yes. But it's all about like how this guy like started the Silk Road underground, like black market using Bitcoin as the currency. And it's just like people were selling stuff 
using something that is now like one coin is what 20k, $25,000. And back then it was like a Bitcoin was worth like, I don't know, 80 cents. So it's just, the, and just the whole way they went about it and how he got busted, it was easily the best read I had this year. Just, I, I binged the whole thing on Audible in a weekend. Ooh, yeah, it it sounds so good. As you said the name, I was like, ah, someone else has told me about this and I forgot. So I'm going to go add that to my cart when we're done here. <laughs> yeah, it looks just like insane. Also, can you imagine buying Bitcoin before the, like even when it was just under a dollar? Like Some people made some money. <laughs> Not me, of course. Yes. <laughs> and then a lot of people just like sold it off for, you know, some illicit drugs. And now they could have had all the drugs in the world. <laughs> they just Suckers. It. Maybe it was a good thing. Uh-huh. Jokes on you. Yeah. yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> You're welcome. That lack of impulse control. The impulse purchase. Really saved your life, probably. So yeah, probably. Good job. All right. I am pretty sure you're in Canada based on certain keywords, general politeness. If you could live anywhere else in the world, where would it be? Is New Zealand like the cop-out answer? That's my answer. Know. It looks yeah. <laughs> it looks pretty awesome. And I vibe with what I've seen from the culture, but I've never visited. So it'd be, <laughs> I should probably do that first. Can I tell you? But it, I all, have the, it all looks very cool. I have the exact same thing. I'm like, I have never been there, but I'm pretty sure I want to live there. It has all the things I need, like mountains. It has like mountains and skiing. It has the beach. As far as like natural disasters and turmoil, like, yeah, it's got mudslides and tsunamis and things, but like politically pretty stable. And also it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. So no one's going to think about it in World War Three. It's going to be like, oh, yeah, there's an island over there. You know what I mean? It fits all my criteria. Checks all the boxes. Yeah, yeah. all my anxieties. But this isn't about me. So back, back to you. But yeah, I'll see you there. Final question, Dylan. How do you want to be remembered? Oof. Just as a person who was kind and helpful, I think, I, I, generous as much as I can with my my time and sharing. I wish I had more money to be generous with, but uh, don't we all? So I think just, yeah, as a somebody who is, you know, kind and, and, and thoughtful and generous with, uh, with other people. I love it. Well, you passed. Good job. It was a close one, but Yay. No. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Dylan, where can where can everybody find you if they want to learn more? Social media, Twitter is the easiest place at Growth Currency, and my DMs are open, as the kids say. So feel free to spam me with messages if you want. Um, I try to answer all of them that are not NFT sales. So <laughs> damn it, that was so my plan. send me up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Twitter and then GrowthCurrency.net is where you can subscribe to my newsletter. If you Google me. Oddly enough, Substack probably comes up before my website. I think that's just in time will correct itself. Yeah. Well, excellent. Thank you so much for being here. This was great. Uh, I feel like I learned so much. Awesome. So happy to have you. Goal accomplished. (laughs) It was great being here. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for sticking around. That was Dylan Redekop of Growth Currency. Huh. Just like... So juicy. So many nuggets. I I appreciate when people are willing to be just super transparent about how it works because something we all see and I can't stand is this whole like, oh, six figure launch. You'll be rich if you just pay me to show you how to do this thing. Like, come on. And Dylan is very much not that very open about 
what it takes, the consistent work. And that's the reality of making money. (laughs) I mean, there are things that can be passive about it, right? But you have to be smart about it. So let's talk about it. I think, like I said in the intro, I'm leaving this conversation just feeling really jazzed about the possibilities here. I think like the highlight reel would be looking at newsletters as a content strategy, not an email marketing tool. Yes, thank you. That there are different ways to deliver content and it doesn't have to be writing big articles every week because those of us who know they procrastinate also maybe don't want to put that on themselves. (laughs) Lessons learned. So the curation model was brought up, you know, doing a roundup. That's the the morning brew example that we were talking about. There's also, I love the idea of having members of your community participate, whether it's actually writing content or maybe it's just highlighting stuff that they're doing in the community to your newsletter list, which can be community members and more, you know, of an audience that you're either looking to convert or just kind of would like to know what's happening in your community. We do a newsletter every Friday. It's called the Friday, and it's just for our pro members. So the intention of it is not audience growth. It's just kind of that, again, a highlight reel of, hey, here are the big things that happened this week in community. Here's some posts you might be interested in. And here are the events coming up next week. And it's a great way for people who are busy to just kind of scan and see if there's anything they want to participate in without feeling like they have to go onto the platform and search. So we kind of just bring, we bubble it up to the surface, the things we think other, you know, the majority of the community would be interested in. We have a lot of great feedback from that. We're always tweaking it and trying things to see how can we bring the best value to our members. I really like the idea of having a newsletter that is for anyone who subscribes, a free newsletter that is light in copy, but also just consistently helpful, valuable. My head is spinning. I don't know about you. Do you have a newsletter? Are you thinking about it? I would like to know. At me, at me, bro, at Jillian Benbow on Twitter. And I think just the, the having a public milestone. So in Dylan's case, 100 editions of his newsletter, and then realizing that's over two years, but hey, he stuck with it. And just having that that thing, get a hundred of them, go forth. All kidding aside, curious if you are in the newsletter biz, how it's been going, how you might use it in community. Go check out Dylan Dylan at growthcurrency.net or at growthcurrency on all the socials. All the socials being Twitter. That's where he hangs out and he posts a lot of great content. So I hope this was valuable to you. I obviously, because I've said it already, loved it. I'll leave you with that. I hope you have a wonderful day and I will see you next Tuesday. Once again, you can find Dylan at at growthcurrency on Twitter or growthcurrency.net on the World Wide Websters. Your lead host for the community experience is me, Jillian Benbow. Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Our senior producer is David Grabowski. And our editor is Paul Gregoris. Sound editing by Duncan Brown. Theme music by David Grabowski. See you next Tuesday.